Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me start by asking, is everybody comfortable? Y'all comfortable? Is the air okay? Are your pews too hard? I don't want you to be comfortable at the end of this service. I'm just warning you ahead of time. In fact, the title of the message is Out of Your Comfort Zone. I don't know what you think about when you think about comfort. When I was preparing this message this week, I thought that one of the last times I remember hearing somebody say something about being comfortable was in the hospital room. My father passed away about 10 years ago, and he had a stroke that he didn't recover from. And standing in the hospital room in Macon, Georgia, the doctor basically told our family, there's nothing we can do. He's had a stroke that has severely damaged his brain, his heart. He's not going to recover. And then he said this, we'll just do the best we can to make him comfortable. We're going to talk about suffering a little bit this morning and trials. And here's the problem. I don't think we understand God's purpose in trials. In fact, most of us, especially in this country, if we experience the least little bit of affliction or suffering, we run to be comfortable. People ask, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever had that question asked or you ever thought that yourself? Well, I got a question. Who told you you were good? Why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to all people. It's a result of sin in the world. Now, Jesus has come to pay the penalty for that, pay the price for that, and ultimately in heaven, we won't have any suffering. You're not going to ask that question in heaven. Why are bad things still happening to me? Don't ask that in question. It may tip some, in heaven, it may tip somebody off. You're not supposed to be there. That's a joke. That's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about getting kicked out of heaven. You're there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But this morning, as we look at this, really just seven verses in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, I want you to understand something. If you're a child of God, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're in the process of being sanctified, but you've got to understand trials are part of the Christian life. So how do we respond? Let's look at what Paul says in this letter. In fact, just a little bit about the letter of 2 Corinthians. We studied... 1 Corinthians about three summers ago, and then we took a detour and studied Revelation and Hebrews, and so we're back to this letter. And we know from Paul's writings in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians and also chapter 7, there were more letters than we have in the Bible. Some of them didn't last. This is probably his fourth letter to the Corinthians. And we know in 1 Corinthians that things got so bad in Corinth that Paul sent Timothy, and some of it got straightened out. But Paul's hearing from Corinth, that there's still some problems there. Corinth was a blessed city. It was right at a crossroads of both physical travel on land and also boat traffic through that region. It was just a prosperous, wealthy city. And yet the Corinthians were corrupt. In fact, the term Corinthianized became a, a euphemism for moral depravity, sexual immorality. In fact, if you were called a Corinthian girl, it was another name for a prostitute. So that's the city that Paul's writing to, and there are believers there. Problem is, if you're believers in a city like that, you're going to face persecution, affliction, suffering. And so Paul writes, let me read these seven verses. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in every affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of all the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also are you sharers of our comfort. First thing, just understand the greeting. I've already told you a little bit about this city. It's Paul and Timothy. Timothy was with Paul. Paul Timothy was a true disciple of Paul. One of the things you know about disciples from Scripture is once a disciple is fully trained, he'll be just like the person that discipled him. And so Paul considered Timothy a child in the faith. He wrote first and second the letters of first and second Timothy to Timothy as an early pastor in the first century church. So he's with Paul, and Paul writes a letter. But it's interesting that he says, first of all, hey, I'm an apostle by the will of God. An apostle meant an ambassador, one who represents God. And Paul said, it's not my idea. This wasn't my calling. He had critics. In fact, Paul addresses that in First and Second Corinthians. There were people that claimed, well, you're not a true apostle. You weren't one of the original twelve. Well, that's true. In fact, what was Paul at the start of the church era? Right after Christ is risen from the dead, right after Christ has ascended into heaven, what was Paul up to? In fact, he wasn't called Paul. He was called Saul. I want you to get this. The writer of this letter was the, was the equivalent of that generation of ISIS. Let that sink in a minute. He persecuted Christians was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. He went and drugged people, kicking and screaming, back to Jerusalem to stand trial for one thing. They had followed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Saul's on his road to Damascus. The reason he's going is he's going after more Christians. And he has an encounter with the living God. And now his name's changed to Paul. And he's a dynamic, faithful preacher of the Word of God and writer of so many letters of the New Testament. So he says, first of all, I'm an apostle by the will of God. But then he gives them this blessing. And this was typical in, in uh, first century letters. Grace and peace to you. Paul wrote that way. Even Peter, First Peter says basically the same thing. Grace and peace to you. What's Paul saying? Hey, you have received undeserved favor from God. You haven't received what you deserve. You've received something you haven't deserved. And peace, literally just the word prosperity. He's saying to a group of believers in the first century Corinth, which was a prosperous city, who they themselves probably weren't prospering. They were being persecuted, some of them being put in prison. And Paul says to them, grace and peace. And here's where it comes from. Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the greeting. I kind of like the way they greet, you know, back in... Students, there was a day and time where we actually mailed letters to one to each other. You had to put it, you had to lick a stamp, stick it on an envelope, and it may take three days for it to get there. And if you got the letter, you'd have to wait till you got to the end of it to find out who signed the letter. 
I like the first century. They tell you right up front who wrote the letter. Well, now with email, you kind of get the same thing. You know before you open it who it's from. And most of you don't open it if you don't know who it's from. They'll, they'll like, mess your computer up. So that's Paul's greeting to this church in Corinth. But I want to focus more on the source and the point of our comfort. So first of all, the source of our comfort. So you have a choice. When you are afflicted and when you are suffering, you have a choice. Who are you going to turn to? Who is going to comfort you? Let me give you four choices. Number one, you can ignore your affliction. You can ignore it. If you're suffering, you can just try to put it out of your mind. Let me tell you how we do that in modern day. We, some of us just get busy. We don't want to deal with the suffering and affliction, so we just get so busy we're hoping that it will take our mind off of it. So some people pour themselves into work. Some pour, people pour themselves into entertainment or sports or athletics or family or whatever, and some of those things are good things. And some people just take a nap. <laughs> yeah. You ever had an exam coming, and you're trying to study, and you think, I'm just going to take a nap. Here, here's the problem. When you have an affliction or suffering, not that exams are affliction and suffering. They are tests, though. If you have all that happening, and you take a nap, you know what happens when you wake up? You've wasted some time, and you still got that problem in front of you. Now, maybe you're able to face it now that you've, you're rested. But one option that we have is we can just ignore it. Second option is, when we're afflicted or experience suffering, is we can try to manipulate other people to solve our problems. So we become manipulators. We try to get other people to comfort us. Here's the problem. Sometimes we will do whatever it takes to get somebody else to meet a need that only God can meet. Be careful. Don't allow people to manipulate you to be God because you can't. Third thing, some people try to comfort themselves. They self-medicate. Some people who are afflicted and suffer take drugs, abuse alcohol, or even relationships or through their jobs. They try to meet this need themselves. Let me just say, none of those three options work completely. They might provide temporary relief. The problem is with some of them is the temporary relief, once that temporary relief is over, the problem's worse. The affliction is still there. The suffering still existent. So what is the answer? Well, the fourth option, and really it should be our first option, is you turn to God. And that's what Paul says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The word comfort occurs ten times. The word comfort, comforts, or comforted. The form of the word comfort occurs ten times in verses 3 through 7. And here's, I want you to learn a Greek word today. It's the Greek word paraclete. If you grew up in the church, you probably remember singing a hymn that had that word in it. What does it mean? It means to call alongside us. It's, it's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called our paraclete. And when I used to sing that song as a kid, I'm like, what's a paraclete's got to do with God? I, I don't get it. But it, it's, two, it's basically two words put together. It means to call alongside us. And I want you to get that this morning because you can't comfort somebody well from a distance. Jesus said when he was going away, he said, if I don't go away, I can't send the helper. But if I go away, I'll send the helper. Who was he talking about? Talking about the Holy Spirit. 
part of the Holy Spirit's role in our life, and it's many. This isn't the only thing he does, but one of the things God does through the Holy Spirit in our life, God in us, is he comforts us. Why is it, as humans and as believers, that we don't turn there first? Now, some of you are thinking, Robert, I, I, I ran out of options a long time ago. That is the place I turned to first. But I just got to tell you, I'm a little slow. There's times that suffering and afflictions come in my natural tendency because the natural man doesn't look to God. What does the natural man look to? Himself. How am I going to fix this? And women, men are worse at this than you are. Got to fix it myself. But God comforts us. This kind of comfort is up close and personal. And he says he comforts us in all our affliction. I want you to get this word. The word affliction means pressure. It means you're being crowded and pressed in. And some of you know what it's like to lay down at night and it just feels like the weight of the world is on you. That's affliction. Pressure. Why is it when we go to the doctor and get a shot, he says something like, all right, you're going to feel a little pressure. No, you're not. You're about to stick me with a needle. This is pressure. That's not what's happening. That thing's going under my skin. Why don't you call it what it is? You know, they try to hide the needle when they come, especially the dentist. You know, they got you all cocked back in that chair. So you can, and it, they'll, you know, they're going to shoot you about five times to deaden that area. But they say you're going to feel a little pressure. I got to come up with another word for them to use because it doesn't fit here. But it might fit here because pressure that he's talking about is not just this, folks. It is where your heart's been penetrated. And you are in affliction. And what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, who was experiencing it, was God's a God of all comfort. And he comforts us in all affliction. So just in case we don't get what the word all means, is there anything left out of the word all? So are there certain afflictions God can't comfort us in? No, he comforts us in all affliction. Now, I want you to hear this. thought about this a lot this week. What is the major requirement for you to be comforted by God? And your first thought may be, well, I have to be a child of God. You know what? I think there's comfort that some people receive who aren't Christians yet. So we can debate that one later. But one thing I know for sure from this passage, it is a major requirement to experience God's comfort, and it's this. You've got to be afflicted. The reason some believers are still shallow in their faith, they've never experienced the comfort of God is, they've never experienced the affliction and suffering. Why is that? Because they've run from it their whole life. Why? Because they want to be comfortable. Once you hear this, there's a big difference in being comforted and being comfortable. God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. He comforts you to make you a comforter. Big difference. So for some people who've never grown in their faith, they're not going to be able to comfort others because they've never experienced God's comfort themselves. Is it, is it possible to be a believer and never experience the fullness of God's comfort? I think it is. If you've never allowed God to bring affliction. Now, the Bible tells us God doesn't tempt any of us. But he does bring trials at times. So that's my last point. Why does that happen? Verse 4, the word, or two words, so that is there. 
I love that. Paul says he comforts us in all our affliction so that. Here's where the point is. Why does God comfort us? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Timothy, who's with Paul as Paul writes this letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, All, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let that sink in. If you're living a Christian life, you will be persecuted. So if you're not experiencing persecution, you need to ask the question, why not? Well, it may be that you're trying to stay in the shadows as a believer. I just got to tell you, the day's coming in our country. It's already happening around the world. It's happening in our country where to be a genuine believer, you're going to stick out. You're going to get noticed. And the sad thing is, that makes people uncomfortable. Why? Because it brings affliction. It brings persecution. So what do we do? We run from it instead of running to God who promises He's going to comfort us. It's amazing to see some of the stories we see coming out of the Middle East. Christians, sometimes 70 at a time, being beheaded for the cause of Christ. I'm not hearing about a lot of them who are recanting the faith. They're kneeling down. Some of them by the ocean, it looks like, or by the seaside having their heads cut off because they will not recant. Why? Because they know Jesus. And they, I think, even at that moment are experiencing a comfort from God that passes understanding. So why? Why does God allow affliction? I got five thoughts if you want to jot these down. Number one, I believe God allows affliction to prove the validity of our faith. And the question you might raise from that is, who are we proving it to? I don't think we're proving to God that we have faith. God knows it. We're proving it to us. When you go through trials and suffering and you come through them and you see what God did in your life, through that you grow in your faith. So it proves the validity of our faith. Not to God, but to us. Second thing, I think God sends tests our way to wean us from the world. Because what do we do? When a problem arises, we try to fix it ourselves. John chapter 6, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus had been teaching all day long. At least 5,000 people. In fact, we believe there's really more than 5,000 because it just says 5,000 men. You count the women and children, there may have been 15,000 or more there. And the disciples start doing the math and realizing, Jesus, you need to send these people home because it's getting dark. What are we going to eat? Verse 5 of John 6 says, Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? He was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Here's what Philip answered. 200 denarii, literally 200 days wages worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. What does is, what is Philip immediately start thinking? We don't have enough money. And Jesus says, you feed them. So they go and hunt. The best they can come up with is two fish and five loaves of bread. And so they kind of, I think they bring that back to Jesus saying, see, we don't have any food. What does Jesus do? He feeds multiple, multiple thousands of people. In fact, he feeds them so that how many baskets are left over? Twelve. I think the reason there was twelve is so that every disciple would have one. 
and realize how little faith I have. I think God sends tests sometimes so that we have to turn to Him. It weans us from the world. Have you ever, don't raise your hand. Have you ever said this? Well, God will never put on you more than you can handle. Folks, that is nowhere in Scripture. What does the Bible say? It says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with every temptation will provide a way of escape. But if you're going through life thinking, well, God's not going to put on me more than I can handle, you know what you're saying? I don't need God. I can handle it. God regularly allows things to come in your life that makes you trust Him. And the struggle we have in the Christian life is if we're trying to fix it ourselves. It weans us from the world. We finally come to the end of ourselves and we realize, God, I can't do this. That's when God's able to flex muscles in your life. Third reason, it calls you to your heavenly hope. Listen to what Paul, same writer in Romans says. He says, not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So coming to the end of yourself and receiving God's comfort calls out your heavenly hope and it does not disappoint. The word hope in Scripture means confident expectation. I just want to ask, how confident are you in your expectation that God is able to comfort you in the middle of trials and suffering? Because if you don't have that confidence, who are you going to turn to? The world or yourself? Fourth reason, he does it so that he can comfort you. If you're not experiencing God's comfort, you won't be able to comfort others. And that's the fifth reason that he sends it, is so that we can comfort others. Look what he says, so that. We will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What's Paul saying? And folks, I don't know if anybody was afflicted more than Paul was. Paul was beaten. Paul was jailed. At least one time they left him for dead. Thought they had killed him. He was shipwrecked, marooned. All of these things happened to Paul. And Paul's basically saying, here's why God has comforted me so that I can comfort you. In fact, his attitude was, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. Why? Because Paul's saying, if I had never been afflicted, I would have never experienced the comfort of God, and I wouldn't have been able to comfort you. And it was for your comfort and salvation. That's the missionary heart of Paul that says, I have borne affliction so that I could bring the gospel to you. It was for your comfort and salvation. Oh, I pray that God would give us that kind of heart. Especially in the days that are ahead of us in the world we live in. To be a missionary now in this age may not require you to leave the country. Yeah, you can share Christ with your neighbor, but folks, there are people flooding our country from all over the world that need the hope of the gospel. And Paul is saying, one of the purposes of affliction in my life was so that I could bring you comfort. And in verse 5 he says, just as, just as the sufferings of Christ are also ours in abundance, the word abundance means to be in excess. Paul's saying there's times that the sufferings seem to be more than we can bear. Absolutely. It, they're in excess. 
But look what he says. Just as they're in excess, so also our comfort is in excess through Christ Jesus. Isn't that a good word? For Paul to say, there's times that the suffering seems to be more than I can bear, and then God rushes in with a comfort that was way beyond my expectation. He comforts equal to the suffering. He doesn't leave you hanging. He says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Then verse 6, he said, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient, enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. James put it this way in the first chapter of James. He says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, I've heard preachers say, Don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> because patience doesn't come with a pill. It doesn't come with a stroke of a wand. Patience only comes by enduring trials. But there's a purpose to it. James continues by saying, And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if you do lack anything, if you lack wisdom, ask from God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it shall be granted to him. So what's Paul saying? This comfort is effective in the patient endurance. In other words, Corinth, church at Corinth, if you're being afflicted, turn to God. He will comfort you through this and there's times it requires patiently enduring what you're enduring but you'll never be away from the comfort of God and he says our hope our confident expectation for you is firmly grounded it is unmovable knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings you will also be sharers of our comfort what do you think the people in Corinth thought when they got that letter because they couldn't debate there's no debate that they were experiencing the affliction and the suffering. But what they were hearing from a father figure in the Apostle Paul was, hey, I've experienced the same thing you're going through. And our hope is in one name. That name is Jesus. Let me close by asking you just a couple of questions as we apply this. Number one, have you received God's comfort? I'm, I'm convinced there's probably someone here this morning in a crowd this size that you're experiencing affliction and suffering right now. It may be health. It may be financial. It may be religious persecution. It may be your boss at work has told you to quit this, that, or the other thing, and it's compromising, or he's asking you to do, or she's asking you to do things that are contrary to Scripture and your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're being persecuted for the fact you're a Christian. Students, it may just be people make fun of you at school if they know you've been on a youth retreat or carry your Bible, or pray over your meal at school. I've eaten meals at school. You need to pray. God bless this. Please do something with it. <laughs> Have you received God's comfort? Don't, don't just run to comfortable. Run to God who can comfort you. And then my last question is, are you comforting others? God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. God comforts you to make you a comforter. Give other people the same hope that you've got, and that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we don't like reading verses about suffering and affliction.
but God, I'm so glad that we're not left there. You haven't left us hanging. You haven't said, hey, you just need to know affliction and suffering's coming. Do your best. You got heaven to look forward to. No, God, you've said even in the middle of the affliction and the suffering, you will provide comfort. Your word tells us you provide a peace that passes understanding. And so, God, we can experience your presence even when it seems like the pressure is too great. Thank you, God, the pressure is never greater than you are. And you're able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So, Lord, if there's someone in this place this morning that is right in the middle of that affliction and suffering, or, Lord, if we're not in the middle of it, it's probably around the corner at some point. God, help us not to be afraid of that, but, Lord, right in the middle of it, remind us of Jesus. And may we run to you for our comfort. Thank you that you are a God who does heal the hurting, the brokenhearted. Thank you in Jesus' name.